0: I'm Nick Terzo and you are listening to The Radical. This week's guest wears many hats, author, music journalist, cultural curator, producer, director, and documentarian. He was right in the mix at the advent of hip hop and the dying days of disco. As a music journalist at the Amsterdam News and Billboard, he established his bona fides. After moving on to the Village Voice, and authoring 15 books of his very own. The multi-hyphenate Nelson George comes aboard this week to discuss his upcoming projects, such as documentaries about Tupac Shakur and his mom, and one doc very dear to me focusing on baseball legend Willie Mays. We cover a lot of ground from the streets of 1970s New York to working with Baz Luhrmann on Netflix's The Get Down, And his own Substack blog, which contains his remarkable writing. Coming up after the break, my conversation with Nelson George. It's Nick, and the Radical Podcast is now powered in part by Playboy Condoms. At Playboy, they are committed to products that make sexual intimacy safe playful, and fun for all. That's why they have introduced Playboy condoms designed for maximum pleasure and safety with unique quality and scent features that exceed international quality standards. Now available at Walmart or walmart.com. Respect your partners. Hey Nelson, welcome. I'm happy to have you.
1: Oh man, pleasure to be here, man. Uh, and it's thank you for supporting uh, the mixtape uh, on Substack. I really appreciate it. Dude,
0: the mixtape is awesome. So it's I such really a great that. walk through time. And, you know, your mom plays such a big role for you, it seemed yeah. like, in your musical influences.
1: Um, well, well, you know, I grew up, you know, I was lucky enough to grow up in the, as a child in the 60s. And my mother was what I call a soul soul woman. You know, she... I mean, I grew up with the big stack of 45s on the changer. And I, you know, ironically, I think I learned a lot of geography from the records because you'd see the Motown, Detroit, Michigan with the little red dot stacks, Memphis, Tennessee. Um, There was a couple of uh, labels out of Chicago, you know, Philadelphia. They They were all these independent labels, there were just scores of them. And I would look at the 45s and I would read, you know, Oh, this soul man's written by Hot Hayes and Porter, or um, you know, Ain't Too Proud to Beg is written by Smokey, or you know, Holland Dozier Holland wrote this. So you know, those those 45s were in education. My mother used to have these parties. Uh, she was a Friday night party. She liked to drink rum and coke, Bacardi and coke, and um, we had the big. Um, uh, what do they call it? They were hi-fi stereos.
0: Where it's like a piece and of furniture, roller. you mean, kind of?
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think it's motor rollers. They were big and brown and had the big speakers. And I would just kind of like stick my head over to watch the 45s go down. So she was a very much, um, I mean, I still have a, a most of her, a lot of her 45s or even her handwriting on them. I just kept them, you know, as keepsakes. And I have a few of her albums. And actually today, it's funny, on the... Um, on Nelson George uh mixtape on Substack I was digging through papers here at the house and I found um what they call I guess a band book or a program from the 67 she went to see the temps at the Copa in 67 and so she has this book that has pictures i mean it real quick pictures of the temps oh, look at that and uh I just held you know I've held on to all of that great stuff because it it brings back my childhood, it brings back my mother's uh, youth and, and all that. So for, for me, um, the music of the 60s and 70s particularly is uh, from an historian point of view, I've you know studied it and interviewed people, but there's also just an emotional connection to all the music from from my house. I remember, you know, I can vividly remember my mother cooking dinner and hearing Al Green's Love and Happiness on the stereo, you know? So that music is also part of my, just who I am. Right, that's fantastic. So the mixtape, is that a, a weekly show? How do
0: you do the mixtape or is that a monthly thing?
1: A monthly thing. So I, uh, there's these great guys in uh, LA, um, Adrian Young and uh, actually uh, Ali Shahid Mohammed, who used to be in Trial Quest. They have a band called Midnight, uh, The Midnight Hour. And they have a whole little complex out in um, Highland Park, LA. There's a record store, beauty shop that Adrian Young owns. And so, before the pandemic, he started doing these monthly radio shows. And I, he let me do like an hour a month. And so now they come on every Thursday. They're on Worldwide FM. And so I do it once a month. And uh, so it's it's really been fun. Like I've been, you know, you're a music guy, so you're you're always kind of in your way making mental playlists. Like, this would sound great with this, Was that. And um, so I've been having fun. I started doing, I was trying to figure out how do you, what do I do every month? And I started doing these monthly now sort of tributes. I did one to um, last, I think, uh, Rafael Sadiq. I did one to the younger uh, R&B artist I really like, Miguel. And uh, this month, I did something kind of unusual because I I look back at Bernard uh, Edwards and Al Rogers and all the work that they were chic, obviously. But I've forgotten how big they were as pop rock producers in the 80s. So they both produced separate Duran Duran separately. Power Station, that was actually Bernard, Bernard, and Tony Thompson, who's a drummer and she is in Power Station. Um, and then Nile, you know, Bernard died pretty young. He died of a heart attack in at 86. And Nile went on to do, you know, the Madonna Like a Virgin album, or The Less Dance album was Bowie. I forgotten he did Rome with the B52s, which I did not realize. So, I, I know. so just digging back, I I found a lot of great music that I did. These guys touched a lot of genres. So it's been fun. That was kind of fun. Like you go back and you say, Well, I like this artist a lot. And you realize there's so much about the careers that you missed.
0: Right. So well, it's fantastic. I've been listening, and your commentary during it's fantastic, and it's it brings me back to being a kid and I don't know. Yeah, how, I, I don't know how as a white kid, you know, we heard all this stuff, but this stuff was all available to us. I I grew up on was, all this, this stuff.
1: It's pop, but you know what? We, we we go back now. It was pop music and pop radio. You know, I think that's the thing that, that in the internet age, where everyone's kind of in these funnels, that we listen to. You listen to pop top forty radio, and you'd hear everything if you you know, and you know, especially probably maybe into the mid-80s when yeah, I think it kind of got more calcified. But um, certainly, you know, Madonna is a great example. I mean, Madonna is one of those artists. She, she's not a disco artist. She came, but she's post-disco, and she came out of that New York scene where you had uptown and downtown mixing. So, you know, Jelly Bean Benitez, who was a huge DJ, he produced some of her great records. But also at the same time, Reggie Lucas, who worked with him too many and did like Stephanie Mills records, produced some of her early big records. So she, um, she wasn't a great singer, but she was a great, in a whole way, she was a great A&R person, I think. She knew what songs would work as dance and as pop. She figured out how to use her voice. Got to be a better singer, she got older, actually.
0: Way better singer.
1: And um so I, I she's like in this mix of i always think when i think about this period you know i think about the fact that uh at least in new york there was this kind of um post disco 80 to 84 period uh where a lot of interesting a lot of interesting collaborations were happening and also hip hop at that time was um it wasn't as um formulized so a lot of a lot of what was going with, with was was hip hop was still rappers rapping with bands, so it still had you no know, i mean you know uh rappers delight is good times, which right. is mal and Bernard so so there was this kind of uh it it it, did, it, it wasn't as hip hop as this and in a you know, new wave as this it was a lot of like mixing and mashing going on right.
0: Well, listen, I have so much respect for your career, and we have a limited time today, so I can't get all the way back in the 70s. And, but, you know, as a social commentator, a writer, a, a producer, a director, um, it's amazing because I don't ever see any of this stuff in your career the way it's put together as a transition, right. really. It's all part of you. None of it feels transitional as much to me. as It, it, it all fits. All the parts fit.
1: Well, you know what happened? And I, 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 one thing I was talking to a friend of mine about this the other day, We don't know this when we're in our 20s, but we're basically making the resume for the rest of our lives. In that the world of music writing that I was lucky enough to be part of, which was sort of beginning of Prince, beginning of Michael's ascension, Michael Jackson's ascension, New Wave, uh, and then obviously hip-hop, those relationships... I made and the music that I was able to be a part of or be around still have relevance and they've all been entryways. I give example. Um, I directed a movie um, for HBO back in 2007 called Life Support, which was a a film about a family, basically my family, dealing with one of my my sister got infected with the HIV virus. Um, But I wanted Queen Latifah to play the part. So Latifa and her manager Shakim knew me from the music days, and so they trusted me and they gave me a shot, even though I was basically a rookie director. So that's a good example. Like that's the film itself really had very little to do with music, but because uh, Latifa had established herself as a real good actress and I had that, that background, I was able to make a transition. So so throughout, there's a lot of different examples of that that happened where, where the music thing, even if the, the project wasn't explicitly music. The connections that came out of that world uh gave me a chance to 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 do you know do other things i guess
0: yeah, so that thread kind of lives through everything interesting
1: it really is it's 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 i got I'm up for a job now writing a, a screenplay I will see if I get it, but it's for um uh, a story set in the nineties, and part of the reason they thought of me is because one of the people involved was a big music guy and and the, the music is going to be somewhat part of the story so I, I find that, that that foundation that happened at Billboard in the 80s, you know, still um, still is, is paid dividends, I guess you'd say. Right.
0: Well, I've discovered your Substack, you know, and the writing there, and your writing's been incredible from the stuff on Prince, um, you know, and I, I my condolences to you on losing your father during COVID. Yeah. I thought that piece was just exceptional, moving, so transparent on your part. Um, you know, some of the stuff you've said around Bruno Mars and kind of, Right. you know, this appropriation going on and the debate right. over it. Um, so your writing's been fantastic. So tell me about that experience, like a Substack Is that a, it's turned out to be quite a great platform for writers.
1: You know, it, it's funny about that. Cause I was, I, I struggled for a long time trying to figure out, you know, once I was a village voice guy and then that sort of went away. Then I was getting, I got busy doing um, all kinds of stuff in visual media, but I'm still a writer and I still wanted to deal with that. And, but I didn't know. Quite honestly, it wasn't until the pandemic that I discovered both Substack and the Medium, which I've written for as well. I really wasn't aware. I kind of vaguely knew about them. But the the writing the piece for about my father's uh, demise uh, it was COVID, you know, in uh, a year a year and change now, opened me up to a whole world. And I and I said, okay, let me really get in here, and. It's been very liberating, man, because there are so many stories that um, I have, like, you know, years of notes and papers and stuff that, like, was kind of, I was trying to figure out what to do with them. Now I find there's a new audience. And also, you know, because the market, I'll tell you something else. the market for the kinds of books I used to do is much different. Uh, There's not as much demand for the critical music history book. Uh, at these mainstream publishers, most of those kind of books now get published by, um, by university press. Mm. Um, or you you have to do a bio piece and base it around an artist. So it's harder to, it's harder to pitch and sell a conceptual, like the Death Rhythm and Blues, let's say, or Hip Hop Memory. It's harder to pitch those and get get a real good advance. So I find that um, I'm getting response. I'm actually making a little money, not a lot, but enough, something, you know, and, it's also just good for my soul. Bottom line, I, I, I really enjoy it, and any feedback I get is great.
0: Yeah, well, the sharing's been, like I said, you've been very transparent. It's from the soul, it's from your heart,
1: and the yeah. writing's
0: really been. I get glued every time you release one. I'm in there reading it immediately. So um, it's That's well, well, mean, well worth the subscription.
1: I got to keep the. That, I mean, I keep the quality of. I got some. Uh, I got some more good stuff coming this month uh, on the paid subscription. Just. One thing I've learned that some things are public and some things should be, I had to figure that one out, but I've been doing a lot more. Now this month is going to be a few more cool stuff. I have a really great piece. with Nile Rogers actually. Awesome. uh, That's only for paid subscribers. So I'm doing a whole bunch of music stuff for for, uh, Black Music Month in June. How many books have you written? Uh, uh, Quite a bit. I I don't actually have a number. Uh, I've done, um, I'm going to say around, 15. Right. um I've done a lot, you know, the music I always think of is boxes. So, where'd I love go? You know, about Motown, Death Blues, Hip Hop America, The Soul Train book I did a couple of years ago. uh So, there's four, that's like, that's like yeah. its own box. Right. And then there's like some more general essay books. And then there's a lot, there's a whole world of, uh, sort of music-based novels that I've been doing.
0: Yeah, are those like the, like I've got one on my Kindle I haven't read yet. That's like the plot against hip hop was. That, oh yeah, was that a whole series kind of? Yes, it's part of
1: this. There's now five books in that series. So it's about a guy named D Hunter, and again, if you come in the music world. You'll not recognize this guy if you've been to any nightclub. There's always a big black guy at the door. Yes, you know, <laughs> he's either got a security T-shirt or in an upscale place he's got a jacket on, and I was always like who are these guys and what do they see what's their world like so i started i did one book in the early aughts, called i think 2004 called the, the accidental hunter so it's just about a dork man guy who ends up becoming a bodyguard who ends up getting becoming kind of an investigator and i really like the opportunity you know to tell some of the stories that we can't necessarily tell because you know get a lot of people in trouble yes but in fiction you can do anything so I've done a uh, a bunch of those. I think the last book uh, was uh, it's called "The Darkest Hearts." So there's five of those books, and they're all centered around a guy named D. Hunter, who who's that quintessential black guy at the door.
0: Fantastic! Big black guy at the door. Well, oh, I got to read this. It's in there, and it needs to be read. You know, that's, so. what,
1: that's what that's one of the most that's probably the most popular one.
0: It is okay. Yeah. Okay, I'm excited. Um, Let's talk a little bit about your kind of the visual work you've been involved in nice. from the uh, Get Down. Um, nice. And then I know you got a f- couple things upcoming that I want to ask about if you can talk about them. I don't know For if sure, you can, yeah. So,
1: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, um, I've done a bunch of docs over the years. That's a, that became a really natural transition. But um, I got a chance to work on the, the Get Down on Netflix, which is still up there. So, everyone hasn't seen it. Uh, and it's a show that was conceived by Baz Lerman. Uh, the Just a genius crazy Australian, and so it turned out that um, it was a, it was a very transformative experience for me because I always loved Baz's movies. I you know I think Moulin Rouge is kind of one of the most unique films ever made in terms of how he used music and, and lyrics, and we were able to do some of that on the Get Down and capture that moment. The concept is that, you know, disco is rising. Disco is here, and this hip-hop thing is this little underground thing, and how these things are kind of, like, shifting. Um, And we had an incredible cast of young artists. Um, We got Raheem, who was in The Furious Five, to write a lot of lyrics. We got Nas to write lyrics for us. Um, Grandmaster Flash was an integral part of the production. So it was a great way to shout out the old school guys but also to keep moving the story forward and that's led me so um uh the big the big two big projects I'm working on now nonfiction are um I'm a, just a producer on a five part series about Tupac Shakur and his mother. Uh it's being directed by Alan Hughes. Okay. And it's on FX. So it'll be out next spring. Um and uh, it's called Dear Mama right now. Okay. And so I've been working as a, a Interviewer, uh, advisor on the project, which has been incredible. We know we've been working on it for two years. It'll be like a three-year process, and it, it's a it's a it's a big undertaking because um, not only is Tupac's life big, but his mother's life is was quite extraordinary.
0: And you ever now, I just uh, did you have a relationship with them prior? I, how did that? How did you form that relationship with his? What, Family.
1: Well, I don't know. I, I, didn't, I knew Tupac a little bit, but I mean, I, Alan Hughes, I've known since I was nineteen. Okay. <laughs> um, I met he and his brother Albert through Tamara Davis, who directed a movie called CB4 uh, that I worked on. Uh, had these guys. I, I knew these twin, these two young black twin guys. You should look at their film school stuff, and it was brilliant. And I played some role in them getting one of their first uh, video jobs in New York. And we just became really friends, and and we I've known him now. He's in his 40s. I've known him most of his adult life, Alan. Alan. And uh, it was the first time we've ever worked together. So that was that's re- been really fun. I think it's going to be really extraordinary. He did a great job previously with that dot, the defiant ones. Yes. About and so I think this is, I think this is going to be in that same ballpark and yeah, more political actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exciting. And the other thing is yeah. The other thing I'm gonna, I'm doing it just kind of started is um. We're going to document you about Willie May. That's the one I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Um, that's another one that took a long time to get started. Uh, it, that goes w- way back before the pandemic, trying to pitch it to people. And then, you know, looked like it was good. And then out the pandemic happens. And obviously Willie's, you, know, you can't mess with Willie's old and we can't go in there. Uh, and now the pandemic broke. So we've been running furiously around the country. Willie just turned 90, and we've interviewed him a couple of times already. And we've been traveling, I just was in Birmingham, Alabama, where he uh, grew up. Uh, he grew up in a uh, Fairfield, which is just outside of Birmingham, uh, and interviewed a lot of his childhood friends, uh, a bunch of really funny guys in their 90s who, uh, <laughs> who are pretty salty. <laughs> I guess when you're 90 and you're alive, you can be salty. But they had great memories and uh, great recall, you know. So it's been that's fun and hopefully you
0: have a distributor for that yet, or is that yeah
1: HBO? HBO. Wow. So hopefully that'll be out by the the summer. Um, you know next year. That's the goal.
0: It's kind of interesting timing too, with kind of the African leagues, like you know the statistics yeah. kind of being blended into you know MLB statistics now. So
1: yeah, you know it's the ballpark. So we went to a ballpark. It's called Rickwood Field in Birmingham, Alabama. It's the oldest existing ballpark in America. It's older than Wrigley Field. It's older than Fenway. It opened in 1910. Wow. And um, so it's beautiful. I mean, it's a beautiful little jewel of a ballpark that's been preserved. And we actually got a young guy, 17-year-old baseball player on a local college team. We found, we were able to buy an old, Willie Mays' jersey in the Negro Leagues was called, he had one number eight. He played for the Birmingham Black Barons, so we have like the shots of this kid running through in the outfield, catching balls, um, running the bases. So we're going to use some of that. So uh, the field is magical. If you ever get a chance to go down there, it is field of dreams.
0: Wow, I had no yeah. idea.
1: Yeah, look it up. It's a, it's an amazing. You, know, you, I mean, it's worth the trip to just to. I know, you know, you can just walk in. You can rent the field for three hundred bucks.
0: <laughs> wow. That's really incredible.
1: So, yeah, look it up, it's, it's, a, it's a jewel.
0: Yeah, what made you, um, you know, you've done a couple of different um, documentaries that are interesting to me, whether it's Brooklyn Bohem or sure. the ballerina even you were involved with. Um,
1: yeah, Ballerina Tale, it was Misty Copeland.
0: Yeah, what was your, what interested you about? That seems like an interesting
1: take for well, you. Well, what happened, I, I was, um, I went to a party and there was this beautiful woman at the end of the table. And I said, oh, my God, I saw her dance with Prince. She had danced with Prince Uh, on um, Welcome to America tour, I think. And I I didn't know anything about ballet, but she was cute. And she, you know, she worked with Prince. So I said, let me talk to her. And it turned out she was um, about to do the, um, what's the big, oh, Oh my God, I'm drawing a blank. She's about to do a big ballet at the Met. And I've never been to ballet, and I've never been to the band. I was talking to her manager, they were nice enough to help me get tickets, a ticket actually. And um, it was amazing. I really enjoyed it. And then I went backstage and she said to me, uh, thank you Nelson for coming, but I'm in a lot of pain. So it turned out that she actually was dancing on a, a five fractures in her left shin. And the storyteller in me is like, wow, this is the first big black ballerina, now her career's in, in doubt. Wow, there's a story here. And so, and I, I'd been doing docs, but I'd never done like a verite doc. Everything had been kind of like a talking head doc. So I thought if she was willing, can I follow her doing her rehabilitation? And that's what I did for, by myself first, for about half a year, then I was able to raise more money and um, watched her come from basically, almost losing her career to becoming a superstar and um, becoming the first, you know, prima ballerina at a major American dance company. Um, So that was just luck and instinct Um, and the opportunity. And the fact that she was willing to let me document her journey, because it could have turned out badly. I mean, it was no, there was no guarantee she was going to come back. Interesting. But I, what I learned is that dancers like that are athletes and um, the, the fact the guy who did her surgery, his wall is full of NBA and NFL jerseys. So uh, she's an extraordinary uh, talent and extraordinarily strong-willed woman.
0: Right. And it did, I mean, yeah, look, took some balls on your part. What's it like to pick up a camera like that and have, to, you know, shoot a lot of this yourself. I mean, did Spike help you with that? I mean, how did you get to the visual no, no. ability to just,
1: you just. I, I've been doing a, you know, I've been doing a little shorts for about 90 early nineties. I started doing a little short film. Cause you know, you like your digital camera. Um, and so. And it's quite a bit of my footage still in the film which is amazing. Uh, We had a lot of different people come in. So I think, I think just, uh, you know, the technology, you know, it's the same way that hip hop happened. I think that, you know, right now we have a proliferation, you know, how how the technology allows people. I think that technology allowed me to get into that game. Now, you know, we did that now 10 years later, you know, I could, I could have done the whole doc on my phone.
0: (laughs) It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's really incredible. So before we cut out of here, um, I want to ask you I mean, you juggle so many different um, genres of creativity. (laughs) What's your secret? I mean, are there any secrets? What's the discipline involved for you to kind of manage this all and remain creative?
1: I always tell people that, um, well, two things. It's two things. One is only do one thing at a time. That is, even though it seems like I'm involved in a lot of things, when I'm working on something, You have to clear the time to be able to focus on that thing. You can't be juggling. You can't be doing a lot of phone calls and whatever else. You you have to really be in that space with that project. And the other thing is is ritual. You know, I have a bunch of things I do. So no matter where I'm at, like, um, I try and work out, even though just to to have – I find that either whether I'm doing yoga or if you're just lifting weights, the time away is actually your subconscious is, is working. You have to make time in the day to to let to not think about whatever you're, work, you're working on and to just be free. And I find that a lot of the better the best ideas kind of come. because I, I feel like your subconscious is working on the problem, even if you're not consciously doing it. I really believe in that. And that's been really helpful to me. So I think ritual, I have, a, I have certain restaurants I go to in New York or wherever I'm at that I always go to and I have the same thing and I kind of sit in the same spot. So it's a little bit of superstition, but... It 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 gives you, no matter what scattered things you might be involved in, having familiar places and familiar rituals, I think it's really important.
0: Right. And did you journal and stuff or did a lot of the writing for this, like where you jog your memory of like the print stuff? I mean, was that just right. stuff maybe that didn't get published at the time that you would kind of put together or how do you? Uh...
1: Well, I, I, it's funny, I don't journal as much as I used to. I used to journal all the time. Uh, some reason, I stopped doing that about two or three years ago, but I have a lot, a lot of stuff Um, like the Prince thing, for example. I had a version of what I published on Substack um, in my files. You know, I'd written about the experience of meeting him and all that stuff. And I, you know, I said, is that going to be in a book? I wasn't quite sure where it would go. And then, you know, Substacks came out and then his birthday came up and I said, OK, so that's been really good. Like I have a Whitney Houston story that I have I'm gonna publish uh on her birthday that that I've never published before. And um I have a few things like that. I have a bunch of stuff that I think you know, just trying to figure out. I did what I did find in the funk that doc, I interviewed tons of amazing people, and only a fraction of the stories got in the in the in the documentary. So I'm really trying to figure out um how to? Where does it go? I think I think that's kind of the hardest thing in a way because now we have a lot of different um, venues. But then, what what goes where? Why you know, like it, it becomes like a more or less uh, trying to figure out what the, don't you don't want to put out so much stuff that people are like it's uh, I can't read. You want people to read it and give them space. At the same time, you're anxious to have stuff published. So I do think it's interesting about this era for younger people. I wonder how they manage it because. There's so many different ways to put stuff out. I find myself as an older, you know, I'm in my 60s, trying to you know, like, oh, kind of overwhelmed with the possibilities. like, what's the best way to do this? Right. So I, I you know, I, we were just back in the day, you, know, you either got in the Village Voice or you got here. That was it. You know, it wasn't like, you know, I have to worry about my blog or oh. my, my sub stack or my, or my TikTok or whatever. Right. You, you know, it was very clear where you had to go.
0: That's the hard part for us older guys is kind of understanding which platform, what works on which platform because it's not in our DNA like it is for these native kids that are have grown it, up with it all. So
1: I definitely, I definitely find it challenging uh, to figure out what the right thing to do to ma- to maximize the amount of exposure.
0: Yep, precisely. Well, my friend, thank you. I really appreciate this time with you. I hope I can do it again because you have so much work ongoing that there's a lot of stuff I want to cover with you going forward. And um, for everyone listening, we'll link to um, your sub stack and the mixtape oh, stuff. We'll you. link to everything on the website. So,
1: but I so appreciate it.
0: Thank you for your time. It's a pleasure.
1: Hey, Amen. So uh, we'll be in contact.
0: Yes, please, Nelson. Okay. Please, please. Okay, All right. Thank All right. you. Take care, man. Thank you very much. That's our show this week. We thank our sponsor, Playboy Condoms, for supporting these episodes. To follow what's happening with this podcast, you can go to theradicalpod.com. You'll find past episodes, show notes, and even merchandise such as t-shirts and hats. Also, I encourage you to follow and rate us on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, please follow us on social media, The Radical Pod, where we reveal more about upcoming guests. Thanks for listening and spreading the word.